0: How's it going this morning? You guys are lame. How's it going this morning? Did you, did you, are, are you guys aware of what just happened? We read the Word of God, and like 30 kids just poured out of here, and like it's going to be 70 degrees today? Is that all you—seriously? A little bit from Rebecca there. Appreciate it. Not much, but a little bit. So— um, John chapter 2, I'll quit being silly and we'll get to the heart of what we need to talk about this morning. Um, I'm really excited uh, about this morning because, one, we didn't meet last week because of the storm. Um, uh, And just, like, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I just, like, my Sunday was just... Because like, God has called us together to to do life together, to, to be together, and I don't know. This Sunday morning, being with you all in this place is, uh, is, is a really life-giving, awesome thing, and I missed it last week, and then two weeks prior to that, I was out of town. So it's like I've had this once in the last four weeks, and that's uh, it's not enough. So I'm excited this morning for that reason, but I'm also excited because... Um, our series on the book of John, you guys have heard Dave and I talk about this, is um, it, it, the idea, the concept, is that John has written these things down so that we might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, and all those things that we've talked about. And I think that idea, that concept, is never more true than what Kelly just read in, in John 2, 1 through 11, what we'll study this morning. It's never more true than, than where we'll be this morning. That these things are, it's not just another story. It's another story whose purpose is to get the reader to understand that Jesus is the Christ. And I always want to put the in front of that because many times uh, religious people in particular think that Christ is. Jesus' last name, it's, it's a title. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One. All the Old Testament pointing towards someone who's going to come and save a people. And the term for that is Christ. So Jesus is the Christ. And everything that, we, that is written in the book of John is written for the purpose that the reader might understand that Jesus is in fact that Christ. Um, and again, this story this morning, there is... I, I don't think in my mind there's, there's a more appropriate, um, adequate story that, that kind of goes alongside, in support of that, that Jesus is the Christ. I want to read for you the, the purpose verse of John, chap, of John, the book of John. It happens at the end of the book, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. It says this now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Jesus did a lot of stuff, and John only wrote about a few of them. Verse 31, but these are written, the stories that I have just written to you, John says, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything that we read, everything that we study in the book of John is in support of this idea. John set out to write a book so that the people that came after him years and years later, this is probably 60 years after the life of Christ, that John writes his gospel. And the purpose is so the people that read it and engage with it might understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing those things, they might have life in God. And so that's a big deal for us. And this message that we're going to read this morning is in support of that premise. You guys remember back to high school English class when you are writing a paper, you write a thesis, sometimes a paragraph, sometimes a whole couple of pages long, but a thesis that the rest of your paper is going to support. This is the thesis of John, and this part of the paper that John is writing is in support of that notion, that understanding. So I want to, to, to be aware of that. We're going to see a, a word this morning called sign, and that word is a Greek word, simeon, and it means that by which a person or a thing is distinguished by others, all right? that by which a person or a thing is distinguished by others. So something, an idea that we're going to set apart, and this is a sign that we're going to see. A lot of people call what Jesus did in this wedding a miracle. And it was, by all accounts, by definition, a miracle. Jesus turned something that was water into wine. But John doesn't call it a miracle. He calls it a sign. He calls it a sign because he's trying to point a big arrow saying, this is the Christ. What he did was miraculous, and what he did was wonderful, and what he did saved the day for the wedding folks. But more than than that, more than in that particular moment, what Jesus did was point a finger to himself for a select few at this point that he is the Christ, he is the Messiah, follow me. So John uses this word 17 times. Every time we encounter a miracle of Jesus in the book of John, John calls it a sign, a purpose. Its purpose is to reinforce his purpose statement, which comes at the end. Uh, R.C. Sproul says this about this particular passage. John is saying that Jesus did his miracles not for their own sake, but to point the observer and the reader, so the observer, the person in the story, and the reader, us, as we read the story, uh, beyond Them, that is the miracle, to something that was significant to himself as the one who spoke the unvarnished word of truth. Jesus is earning the right to be heard by his disciples. So let's dig into this story, this passage here. John 2, verse 1 And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. I want you to, to see a, a few things parenthetically as we walk through this, that Jesus is there with his guys, with his disciples, with those that are close to him. And, and I want you to see at, always as we walk along, and i point it out as we walk along through this passage, that Jesus is always about his mission. Every time, 100% of the time, Jesus is focused on his mission. So Jesus isn't just going to a party. Jesus isn't just going to a party with his disciples. Jesus is going to a party with his disciples to point them to this fact that he is the Christ. And, and I want, and I'll say this a few times this morning. A lot of times we look, we come to scripture, especially in the gospels, looking at Jesus for what he has given to us. And, and that's apparent, his, his redemption, his the, the beauty of his redemption and all that it is is, is really apparent here. But I, I, wanna, I want us to see more than just salvation in the life of Christ. The gospel is more than a ticket to heaven. Following Christ is more than just a ticket out of this earthly world and the brokenness that's here and to this perfect heaven. It is an example for us to follow and hear this perfect example. Jesus, always about his mission. Jesus gathering his people around him. And when he was going about his everyday life, he was about and on his mission. Follow that. Understand that. That there aren't accidents that happen in your life. When you go to work, you can be on mission. When you cut your grass, you can be on mission. When you go to a party, you can be on mission. Or you can just kind of float through life and whatever. To follow Christ means to always be on mission. He's with his disciples. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Let me say here, parenthetically, this is a major issue at this wedding. This is, um, I've read even some things that this could have been like a a jail punishable offense to the, the hosts of the wedding. If you run out of this wine, you're in big trouble. So this is more than just, oh man, it's going to be a lame party. This is, this is a, a big deal. All right? Jesus said to her, to his mom, woman. By the way, woman seems like a really, like, like my mom walked in here and I said to her, woman. That's like, the language is ma'am. This is a, a polite way of addressing uh, your mother. Ma'am, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. So there is uh, a select few that are here are, are going to get to engage in, in this sermon or in this, this message that Jesus has for these people here. Just, just only a few. Just his disciples and his mom and a few of the... Nobody else really understands how this wine came about. They just know that they're enjoying this wine. It's, it's kind of similar to... Uh, one of my favorite movies, a movie called Field of Dreams. There's a scene in it that you're going to see now. Um, But I want you to see this one guy has absolutely no idea what's going on. David, hit that for me. Hi. You're interrupting the game, Mark. Ray. Ray, It's time to put on your little fantasies and come down to earth. It's not a fantasy, Mark. They're real. Who is real? Shoeless Joe Jackson, the White Sox, all of them. You mean? No, you can't, can't see any of it. Who's this? Elvis? Ray. As a matter of fact, it's Terrence Mann. Right. How do you do on the Easter bunny? Like this is Jesus' idea here. Like some people just don't get it, don't understand what's happening. And and we can see like Look at the story. There are people that understand who Jesus is and what he's done and why he's done it. And there are, most of the people there have no idea. Just like this red-headed guy in the story walking across the baseball field when a game's going on and he has no idea that it's there. And like so much of our lives are like that. We walk around this earth like the red-headed guy with no idea what's happening. No idea of the spiritual reality that's going on around us. And this is like to follow Jesus, to engage this story is to pull back and see what's going on around you, what's happening around you. Nothing that's going on around you is happening by accident. Nothing that's happening around you is going on by accident. And Jesus, to follow Jesus is to see that and to perceive it and then to do something about it, which is what brings us to the, the next verse here, which is just, it's really good, and, and we miss a lot of, of what happens here. Verse 5, this is probably the most profound thing that happens in this story. Understand that we're, we're missing, we're, a lot of times we miss the spiritual thing that's happening, we miss what's going on, and, and we aren't aware of the reality of what's happening, and then look at what Jesus' mom does. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, we, this story is about Jesus turning water into wine. No. That's the, that's the context of the story. Look at what, what did Jesus' mom just say? She just, like, if we leave here with one thing, leave here with what Jesus' mom just said. What did, he, not rhetorical, what did he just say? Somebody say it louder. What? Obey. Do what he told you to do. Do what he told you to do. Do what he told you to do. Here's like life, especially the Christian life, for me at least, is really confusing. I can get bogged down in philosophical debates theological debates whether we can or can't do something and and what the best way is to to lead a church on mission and and, and what is jesus saying and, and look at the the minutiae of the details of scripture and those are all powerful things but ultimately it's really pretty simple um a couple of weeks ago i was privileged enough to be in florida visiting my parents and my dad and i were playing golf and with his cousin and uh his cousin is a really, really good player, um, and I'm really kind of nervous, and I really want to play well when I'm playing with him. And so I'm, I've got this weight, like I've got to play well, and I'm playing really bad. I'm like on the ninth hole here, and I'm just really bad. But I've got the shot in front of me, and it's just a real easy little pitch shot. Let me explain to you. It Basically, the there's a lot of green between me and the hole, and this is just a really easy shot. And, like, I'm not all that great, but this is, like, the shot that I could hit in my sleep, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, this is a really easy shot. Let's just hit this shot. Piece of cake. Cousin back here will be, you know, wow, that's a great shot. And so he hits a shot. The the, the other guy that we're playing with hits a shot, at, which is, like, the guy that's furthest away is supposed to play, right? And he's further away and I'm waiting and hit my shot. And he hits a shot halfway to mine. He wasn't very good and whatever. So he's like now I'm thinking, do I need to hit my shot or should I wait for him to hit his shot? But are they gonna thinking that I'm gonna be like slowing us down because I'm just standing here waiting and like impatient and all these things are going through my mind. Should I hit? Should I not hit? Am I gonna impress this guy or am I not gonna impress this guy? Is this guy gonna hit me with his ball next time he hits? And all these things are running through my mind. And not this really simple, I could hit the shot in my I just gotta hit it like literally like three feet and let the ball just roll out to the hole. What do you think I did? I'm like, this is, the, I got this shot, no problem. Oh man, I shouldn't be hitting the shot. Oh and I hit it like that far. And like then I'm like, oh. and it takes me three more to get in the hole from there. And it's like in my mind, in, like on the next tee box, like I'm like, and shoo. awful, and I'm just completely distracted because my mind is just completely distracted. But let me explain to you the simplicity of what Jesus' mom just said. You can be confused about a lot of things: what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Should I take this job? Should I move to here? Should I, should I date this guy? Should I not? Should I what? What? Like and we just get like I was and you're in the swing and you're like oh what uh, uh, and you hit it three feet and you're completely disturbed but the message of Christ is really simple it's the message that Jesus' mom just said do what he tells you to do so here's what I want to do for the next 90 seconds I want you to stop right now listening to me And listen to Jesus. I want you to silently pray. Bow your heads. Close your eyes and pray. What are you telling me to do? And then have a pen nearby. Because he might just tell you something. Go. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the simplicity of your message. I thank you for the simplicity of Mary here. God, I pray that you would teach us, give us hearing hearts, hearing ears, Father, to hear what you have to say to us. God, I pray for those in this room who just heard you speak something to them, Lord. Maybe reminded of something you told them to do 10 years ago or... 10 minutes ago or maybe heard your voice for the first time of something to go do got to pray for courage and insight and wisdom to do that got to pray for those who who heard nothing i pray that you would teach us how to be in silent prayer father still and quiet to hear your voice Gotta pray that you would free us from distraction, God. And allow us to hear your voice. And go and do what you've called us to do. I thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen. Alright, so I'm going to be um, optimistic and think that Jesus or God actually said something to some of you. Um, and I'm going to say to you, you need to go tell somebody that because you're stupid and you'll ignore it. Um, Write it down and go tell somebody. Tell your spouse, tell your best friend, tell someone. Uh, Because the enemy likes to lie to you or you like to be dumb and just forget it and don't do it. Don't do that because watch what happens when somebody does what Jesus tells them to do. Where are we at? Verse 6. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons of water. This is I did some math this week. Um, this math is if... Each of those gallons were 30 gallons. Each of those jars were 30 gallons each. That's 180 gallons of wine that Jesus makes. 180 gallons of wine, that's a lot. And if my math is right, that's 900 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine. 900 bottles. You guys have, you know, like on car trips, 100 bottles, right? 900, 900, Jesus made 900, and this is like they've already served some, Jesus made 900. Like, that would fill a lot of that space up there, I don't know how much, but a lot, Nine, 900. Like, there's a lot of points that you can make out of that, but the thing that keeps jumping into my brain is Jesus is extravagant. Like, let that just sit on you for a bit. Jesus is really extravagant. 900 bottles of wine. Jesus wants to be extravagant with you. And where did it start? What had to happen first? What did Mary tell him to do? Do what he tells you to do. And Jesus' extravagance pours out on these folks. It's powerful. It's really important for us to grasp that. Verse 7, let's go there again. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim, and he said to them, Now draw some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, And did not know where it came from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water. Again, remember, Jesus is only a select few getting to understand see this sign that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Intentional for Jesus here. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now, more extravagance from Jesus. Like a lot of guys, a lot of people would, would get lost in some minutiae here and argue for or against alcohol. You should drink it, you shouldn't drink it. Jesus drank it, Jesus didn't drink it, Jesus made it for people and they drank it. it I think it's clear here that, that this is alcoholic wine when we're thinking about, you know, people drink freely and they, don't, they can't tell the difference between good and bad wine. And I think that this is clearly alcoholic wine. But I don't want to get lost in that minutiae because I don't want to lose part of you off of a stupid trivial detail. If you want to, we can have that discussion later. Be glad to have that with you. You know my phone number. You know my email address. You know where I live. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you more about it. But that's not what I want to talk about this morning because that's not what this passage is talking about. The, the point of this passage is I want to bring out three things that we see from this party. First, Jesus intends for you and I to celebrate. Jesus intends for you and I to celebrate. I have a good friend of mine who just turned 30 uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, he's sitting right there. And there was a really cool party. His wife threw him this really great party. And there were like people from Jeff's life today, people from Jeff's life like years ago. And when like, well, I think most of you know that I was Jeff's youth pastor back in the day when he was in high school and a lot of those same guys back together, they've all got their kids now and they're all in their you know, late 20s, 30s now and just gathering together. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And I was supposed to preach this message like two days later and it was going to work perfectly because it had all been really fresh in our minds but now it's like nine days away. Or yes, nine days ago. Uh, but the idea is, and, and I want you to hear this because it's, it's important. Jesus intends for you to celebrate. And he brings people and stuff and events into your life so you can celebrate. Jesus gave you life and breath and a brain and a and a craving for happiness and joy. Jesus gave that to you. Engage it. It's good. Jesus intends for you to celebrate. And we can, this is where it gets a little difficulty and rocky because we can pursue celebration and, and fun more than we pursue God. But as we engage the celebration, remember, Jesus is always on mission. Always. He's creating this wine for a purpose. He's engaging life and happiness and celebration for a purpose. Engage, celebrate, live your life, be happy, but do it on purpose. Jesus intends for us to celebrate and enjoy our lives. Second thing from this party, Jesus can take a bad situation and make it a great situation, better than before and better than we intended. That's called redemption. It's what Jesus is always about. And here's the, like, whenever we, I, I, I engage this sort of idea, I'm, I'm really careful because we can fall into a slippery slope of if we behave, Jesus is going to give us good. And we have a bad definition of good. That's true. If, if we follow Christ, Jesus is going to give us good. But good could look like A child with cancer. Good could look like a wonderful party celebrating a friend's 30th birthday. Good could look like any number of awful things. Any number of wonderful things. Because good is a more pure relationship with Christ because of the thing. God can take a bad situation and make it good. Here, don't get lost in what actually happens in this story. Don't get lost in the context of this story. What's really happening here is Jesus takes something bad and makes it good, and not just good, but better than it was originally intended. I have these plans for this wedding. They fail. Jesus responds and makes it even better whatever is going on in your world whatever is going on in your life whatever the plans and hopes and dreams that you have for whatever is in front of you jesus wants to make it better and wants you to pursue him to make it better this is a a, a huge lesson for us to learn and it's why we need to walk in community, because life can sometimes be awful, and we can get our minds just so focused on this moment, like the master of this wedding was probably completely distraught, but Jesus came and changed that. We can, our minds can get lost in the details of today, and we can get completely distracted, but we need people around us. To come alongside of us and point our minds off of these present details and onto what is God really doing here. I have a wonderful Azer that God has given to me. That, that is the Hebrew word for help, which is what God calls Eve in the garden, for those of you who don't know. Her name is Jen, and she's an Azer, and she is God's help to me. So that my mind can, I can get really easily distracted on the details of today. God brings her into my life and I get to see perspective. You guys have people like that in your life. People that are in this room. Engage community. Engage life. Because Jesus is on mission. He's on mission in your life. Bringing people around you so you can see beyond the, the tyranny of the moment. This is what this story is about. And the story is about that so that you might see that Jesus really is the Savior, the Messiah, the long-awaited, long-anointed one. Come not just for your salvation, but so that you might know how to be. This is Jesus, and it's awesome. The last thing... And I want you to see, and I've said it countless times, that Jesus is always on mission. So we ought to always be on mission. And Think back to what, you, what Jesus said to you when you prayed a minute ago. What are you supposed to go do? Think back to that and be on mission. Engage people in this room today, even while we're picking up chairs and putting them in a closet. Talk about what it's like to be on mission. God's got something big for you, and he wants to do good to you. Please define good correctly. God wants you to be on mission, and this story, its purpose is that. One last verse, just a few more minutes. Verse 11. The beginning of his son Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The point of this message, the point of this book is to turn our attention to this fact. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is orchestrating events. Jesus is orchestrating events, telling the, the horn section when to play, telling the violin section when to play so that it might come together for the symphony Of beautiful attention and affection gathering momentum towards him. There are hardships and difficulties, there are pain, there's parties, there's friendship, so many things that are around us that can either compete for our attention or be used to draw our attention to this fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Messiah, the long-anointed, long-awaited one, the anointed one. He is the Messiah all of the stuff that's happening in our world can be distractions to that or they can be arrows to that. Follow us as we walk through this book of John and how he is so beautifully written. Ways for us to learn how to take the minutiae and change it into affection-altering beauty. Let's pray and worship our God.